Well, this is the part of our service where we turn our attention to the preaching of the Bible. At Seven Mile Road, we're launching with a commitment to weekly considering the scriptures, opening them, unfolding them, and having them inform our lives and transform our lives. And so for our first run at preaching, our first run at speaking God's word regularly, we're starting with a series called Talks with Jesus. For about 16 weeks, that works out from about now till December, we're going to be looking at various conversations that Jesus had with various people throughout his life. We're going to move somewhat chronologically throughout his life, spread out across the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. As we go, I want you to know that you're going to hear Jesus talk to all kinds of people and have all kinds of different conversations. You'll hear Jesus talk to men and women and children. You'll hear him talk to the rich and to the poor, to the educated and to the simple. You'll hear him talk to people whose lives are well put together and whose lives are a complete mess. You'll hear him talk to sinners and welcome them and at the same time talk to the religious and rebuke and reject them. You're going to hear him talk to God his Father and to Satan his enemy. You're going to hear all kinds of conversations. And as we go, I want you to know that some of these conversations will comfort you, others may surprise you, and some will even offend you. But our commitment is to talk with Jesus and to hear him talk and hear him speak for himself and have ears to hear what he has to say. So 16 conversations, 16 talks with Jesus, and through it all, our hope is to discover who Jesus is through the conversations that he had. Our hope is to discover who Jesus is through the conversations that he had. So today, we kick off with one from Matthew 16, verses 13 to 20. This week, we're sort of jumping in the middle. Next week, we'll sort of start at the beginning of his ministry and move chronologically. But for today, we're sort of launching with this pivotal conversation that Jesus has with his disciples, particularly with a man named Peter. It's this incredibly important conversation. And I want to contend, and I'm not exaggerating when I say, it will be the most important conversation you will ever participate in. It's a great way to launch this series, and it's a great way to launch our church. And so we're in Matthew 16, verses 13 to 20. It's the passage that Shiny read for us. So let me just pray as you turn there. We'll submit our time to God, and then we'll jump in on this conversation, this talk with Jesus together. Let me pray. Father, we give you great thanks for this time that you have given to us, your people, and that you have allowed us to gather together. We pray now that your Holy Spirit would come and do what flesh and blood cannot do, which is to know Jesus. We pray that you would open blind eyes and loosen deaf ears and soften hard hearts and illuminate dull minds that we might see, hear, believe, and understand the Christ. Your word, as we're about to read, tells us that flesh and blood cannot see these things. And so, Father, we're asking in this time that you would show them to us. And that in doing so, it would be for your glory and ultimately for our joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so let me give you the background. Let me just get you caught up or set the stage for where we are. 
By the time you get to the 16th chapter of Matthew's Gospel, we're about two and a half years into the public ministry of Jesus. So he's preached sermons and taught and done his miracles, and there's this incredible buzz surrounding this carpenter-turned-itinerant preacher from Nazareth. By now, everybody is beginning to talk about the man from Nazareth, about who Jesus is. In the chapter just prior to the one we're looking at, we read that Jesus, Matthew tells us, miraculously fed 5,000 people with nothing but a little boy's lunch. And then he would do the same thing again with 4,000. And so you've got at least 9,000 people going home that day telling their friends and their neighbors and their relatives about this man, about this man named Jesus, not to mention all the other things that he had said and done in the course of two and a half years. And so there's this crazy attention surrounding Jesus. And everybody's coming to their own conclusions and everybody's trying to figure out who is this man? Who exactly is Jesus? Well, that's what we're pressing in to find out. So here's how the conversation begins. Verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Here's how the conversation kicks off. Jesus lobs an easy softball at them, a nice, easy question. He starts by saying, who do the people say that I am? Basically, he's asking his disciples, what's the public opinion? What's popular opinion? What's the word on the street about me? As you're walking through the crowds, as you're walking in town, as I'm teaching and you hear people whisper off to the side, what are they saying about me? Now, you need to know that Jesus isn't asking this because he's overly concerned with his ratings or public opinion or the polls. Jesus is asking this because he's going to press into the more important question, which is, what do they think about him? These are, after all, his disciples, men he's invested two and a half years of his life with, lived with them, walked with them, eaten with them, taught them, spent life with them, and he's going to find out what his investment is going to yield. He, he's going to press in to ask what they think. That's where he's headed, that's what he's after, but this is where he starts. And so he says, who do the people say that I am? It's an easy question, and so the disciples have no problem answering. This is what they say in verse 14. And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So the disciples respond. They give him the answer. They tell him what the public thinks. They pipe up. They say, some say that you're John the Baptist. John the Baptist was Jesus' older cousin. He had sort of burst onto the scene before Jesus had, and he was known for being this intense preacher that was telling everyone to turn from their sins and turn to God. In fact, he was so intense that he ended up ticking off the wrong family and getting his head cut off, literally. And so the people are buzzing about this man named John, and now Jesus shows up and they begin to see the similarities. In fact, in Matthew 14, two chapters before ours, King Herod, the one that has Jesus killed, tells everyone, this is surely Jesus, John, back from the dead. When they see the miracles and the works of God and hear his preaching, they can't help but think, this is surely a messenger from God the way that John was, so much so that some of the crowds figure, this is John back from the dead. 
Others think, no, this isn't John. This is Elijah or Jeremiah. If you know the Old Testament, you know that Elijah and Jeremiah were the great prophets of the Old Covenant, of the people of God. Perhaps it was the way that Jesus seemed to confront and, and challenge the authorities of his day, the way that these men had confronted and challenged the authorities of theirs. If you read the Old Testament, you see that Elijah's constantly picking a fight with King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. Or that Jeremiah is always getting in trouble with the religious leaders of his day. And wouldn't you know, that looks and sounds just like Jesus. In fact, in the passage before ours, Jesus has just finished calling the Pharisees, which are the religious leaders of his day, blind guides and hypocrites. So much so that his disciples have to pull him to the side and say, Do you know you keep offending the Pharisees by what you say? And as you read through the Gospels, you find that they're always in a fist fight with each other. So then no wonder the people saw Jesus and were immediately reminded of the prophets. In fact, there was even a Jewish belief that before Messiah, the one that they were waiting for would come, would come Jeremiah and Elijah. And so the people figured, maybe this man is the forerunner to the Messiah. Maybe this is the one who will precede the coming of Messiah. And so they thought, Maybe Jesus is Jeremiah or Elijah. And some of the crowd figured, okay, he's not John the Baptist, he's not Elijah or Jeremiah, he's at least one of the prophets. Some say you're John the Baptist, others Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. They figured, we don't know exactly which one, but let's at least cover our bases. We know this much, this guy is surely come to us from God. You need to know that the speculation, the rumors, the opinions, the ideas surrounding Jesus in his day were varied and many. Everybody in his day was trying to figure him out. Everybody was coming to their own conclusions about who this man was. I mean, as you just briefly scan through the Gospels, you're treated to this buffet of opinions concerning Jesus. Let me just give you a small sampling. In his own day, some thought that Jesus was crazy. In fact, in Mark 3, we find out that his own family thought Jesus was crazy. The scriptures tell us that Jesus' brother does not believe him. I mean, if your older brother is walking around saying, I am God, worship me, I'll forgive sin, I'll save humanity, you too would say, lock him up, throw away the key, he's out of his mind. And in Mark 3, that's what they say. They say, let's put him away because he is out of his mind. Others would say, listen, he's not crazy. He's actually a teacher of Israel. In two of the conversations we'll see in the coming weeks, Jesus talks to a rich young ruler and to a man named Nicodemus, and both approach Jesus reverently, calling him rabbi. Rabbi, teacher of Israel. But some would say, listen, he's not a teacher of Israel. He's got you deceived. The truth is, he's not even a part of the people of Israel. In John 8, some go to Jesus and say, we're right in saying that you're a Samaritan, right? And if you know the context of that day, that's like a, a racial slur. That's like saying, you're not a part of us. You're, you're one of those half-breed Samaritans. You're not even a part of the people of God. Others would say, he's not a Samaritan. He's worse He's actually a sinner. In the Gospels, you read that people would look at him and say, you know what Jesus is? He's a glutton and a drunkard. If you want to know the kind of man Jesus is, 
They would say spend a day walking with a prostitute or sitting with a tax collector because those are the kinds of people he seems to always eat and drink with. And you can tell a lot about a man by the company that he keeps. He's a sinner. Others in his day would say he's not just a sinner, he's much worse. He's actually possessed by a demon. In John's Gospel, some go to Jesus and say, we're right in saying to you, you have a demon. Some went further to say, not just you have a demon, but you're actually in cahoots with Satan himself. You, you're working with Beelzebub, the prince of the demons. Some would hear all these rumors and laugh them all off and say, you're all wrong. You're all wrong. He's not a crazy man or a teacher. He's not a sinner or a saint. He's not the savior or Satan. The truth is, you're all wasting your time because he's a nobody. He's nothing. The Gospels tell us, they went to him and say, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this the carpenter's kid? Isn't this Mary's boy? Don't we know his brother James? Isn't he from Nazareth? What good can come from Nazareth? You're all wasting your time because he's just a blue-collar carpenter. He's, he's a nobody. Who does he think he is to say or do anything? We know where he comes from. He talks of heaven. We saw where he was born. You see, the gamut ran far and wide concerning Jesus. The jury was still out about who this man was. The opinions were many. And the truth is, 2,000 years later, two millennia later, the jury's still out. The opinions of our day are no less scattered. The public opinion is no less confused about this man from Nazareth. So that if Jesus were here and asked us, who do the people of your city, what does your culture say about me? Who do they say that I am? The answers would be endless. Some have called Jesus a philosopher. The great philosopher who has come to introduce a way of life like none before him and none after. Some have labeled him a social activist or a revolutionary. Some have called him a great wise sage or a moral teacher who has come to show us the way to live. Some have called him a psychic mystic. Others have said that he's the first New Age thinker, supposedly because of his travels to India and the East. Others have said that he's a homosexual and that his husband was John, the disciple, or that he's married to Mary Magdalene and his children are running around somewhere in France. I mean, you just hit Jesus into Google and you're going to get 200 million opinions about who this man is. Let me read you some popular quotes concerning Jesus of Nazareth. Napoleon once said, I know men and Jesus was no mere man. Gandhi once said, Jesus was a man who was completely innocent, offered himself as a sacrifice for the good of others, including his enemies. And then he goes on to say, but I cannot say that Jesus was uniquely divine. He was as much God as Krishna or Rama or Muhammad or Zoroaster. In our day and time, Larry King said, I am not a believer, but I have utmost respect for Jesus Christ. I believe he was the most influential person who ever lived. You get the idea. We could literally go all day. Men have spoken all kinds of words about this one man. And I'll even grant you this. Listen. They've even spoken kind words. Good words. I mean, you hear the public opinion. These are good words. He's 
John or Jeremiah or Elijah or one of the prophets. And in our day, we would say he's a great teacher or a leader or a revolutionary. And you would think that these are compliments of the highest order. But they're not. Because they fall woefully short in light of who he is. Let me give you an example. My wife, Shainu, is not a football fan. Uh, which, on a day like today, is a hard thing to say. I'm a huge football fan, but Shainu's not. Shainu doesn't know the first thing about football. She couldn't point out an eagle if it was right in front of her face, right? So say Shainu and I walk onto a field and we see Donovan McNabb throwing the football, practicing with some friends. She has no idea who that is. She still has no idea who that is, right? So say she watches and he's throwing passes and they're perfect and he just has an awareness on the field and he's outplaying everyone else. And say she walks up to Donovan McNabb at the end and says, you know, sir, I, I just want to say something to you. I, I think you're pretty good at this game, and, and I don't want to make any promises, but there are some local flag football teams, and if you try out, you really might be able to make one. What would you say? Right? Say Donovan McNabb looks at her, shakes his head, and walks away, and, and she turns to me and says, can you believe him? I just paid him a compliment and he walked away disappointed. What would I say? In a very Christ-like Christian way, I would say, are you out of your mind? Do you know who that is? That's Donovan McNabb. He's the starting quarterback for the Eagles. You think you've complimented him in light of who he is. You've disgraced him. You've dishonored him. That's not a compliment. You see, in light of who Jesus is, to call him a leader, a teacher, a revolutionary, a great man falls woefully short. And you have not honored him. You've disgraced him to the highest order. Because every one of these answers, John, Jeremiah, Elijah, one of the prophets, will not do. And so Jesus asks a follow-up question. This is what he says. Verse 15. He said to them, But who... Do you say, I am? He presses in, he's heard the public opinion, and he leans in to ask them, Who do you say, I am? He steers the conversation away from public opinion to a very personal one, and he says, What about you? Who do you say that I am? That's the question. And I need you to remember that they're in this city called Caesarea Philippi. That's what Matthew tells us. If you know the history of that city, you know that it was a city that was known for pagan temples. It was a city that was once the center of worship of God Baal in the Old Testament. And in the New Covenant, it was a Greek city after the god Pan. It also had a, a temple erected to the Caesar and it changed its name to Caesarea Philippi. The entire land was littered with temples to various gods. And so the setting is significant because it's amidst the pantheon of gods and the multitude of options and the plurality of ideas of who God is. It's, it's ranging from Pan to Caesar to Baal to Elijah to Jeremiah to one of the prophets. Among the extremes that go from sinner to saint and Satan to savior, Jesus asked them, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter replies, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
Verse 16, Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You need to hear what Peter is confessing here, what Peter has just said. <coughs> you see, we hear the word Christ, and we think of it sort of like a last name. So you've got a J. Thomas or Dennis Matthew in Jesus Christ. Christ isn't his last name. Christ is the title of who he is. Christ is the translation of the word Messiah, the word that meant the anointed one. The anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. In the Old Covenant, you had three kinds of people who were anointed. Prophets, priests, and kings. Except Messiah wasn't just an anointed one, he was the anointed one. The one who would do what none other had done, who could do what none other could. The anointed one. So that if Jesus was a prophet, he wasn't just a prophet, but the prophet who had come to bring God's final word. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So that if Jesus was a priest, he wasn't just a priest, but the priest who had come to bring man close to God and God close to man. So that if Jesus was a king, he wasn't just a king, but the king who had come to exercise God's rule and reign on earth, even as it is in heaven. You see, Messiah wasn't just an anointed one, it was the anointed one. And every Jew in that day was raised, longing for, waiting for, expecting Messiah. If your heart wasn't thrilled at the idea that Messiah had come, it's because you didn't get it. Because from Genesis to Malachi, the entire people of God were waiting for Messiah. All of their hopes, all of their expectation, all of their hope for deliverance and salvation was in this one, Messiah. Every person who was a part of the people of God longed for and waited for Messiah. It wasn't a title that you just threw around casually because the title was loaded with the hopes and dreams of an entire people. So that when Peter says to Jesus, you are the Christ, the Messiah, he's saying, you're the one. You're it. You're what our people had been waiting for. You're what the prophets had pointed to. You're the one, the anointed, the one who has come to bring God's final and full deliverance and salvation. You're it. You're the one my whole life has been waiting for. Our entire people have been longing for. Jesus is the one. If Jesus is the Christ, then he's not just a philosopher who's come to show us the way to God. He is the way to God. And if Jesus is the Christ, then he's not just a guru showing us a, a way to truth. He is the truth. And if Jesus is the Christ, he's not just a teacher pointing us to a way of life. He is the life. He is the one. There is none other. It's him. Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus responds and says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Blessed are you. And then he says, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Lest for even a second that we get to think that 
Peter came to this confession because he was super spiritual or really religious or really bright or really smart. Lest we think that it was because of how perceptive or discerning Peter was, Jesus makes it clear by saying, Blessed are you, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You see, you get to see who God is because God shows you God. We don't get to see God because of how spiritual we are or how religious we are. We get to see because the Father in heaven reveals it to us. He opens our eyes. In, in the very next passage, you're going to see that though Peter believes that Jesus is the Messiah, he doesn't fully get what that will mean. No one does. No one does. Which is why in verse 20, Jesus tells them, don't tell anyone yet. Because if Peter, who believes, doesn't fully get it, how will the masses who don't? Jesus has to, in verses 21 and following, unpack for them what it means to be Messiah. Whereas they thought it was the one who had come to overthrow Rome and ride in on a horse and ascend the throne, Jesus has to explain to them, it's not going to work that way. Because I'm going to ride in on a donkey. And I'm going to ascend the cross and not the throne. And, and what it means to be Messiah will not to be to overthrow Rome, but to overthrow Satan and sin and death and hell. And I've come to release not your bondage from political captivity, but from spiritual captivity. Messiah has come and he says in the following verses, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be handed over to the chief priests. And they're going to try me. And they're going to kill me. They will crucify me. And on the third day I will rise to new life. And I am the Christ. The Messiah. The one who has come to bring God's deliverance. And set you free from slavery to sin. <coughs> who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ. The Son of the living God. And so here we are, two millennia later, 2,000 years later, and what I want you to hear is that you are unavoidably pulled into the conversation. You are unavoidably drawn into the conversation because now Jesus looks you square in the face and says, what about you? Who do you say I am? Ahmed, who do you say that I am? And Rob and Ajay and all of us, who do you say I am? It's the singular question every soul will ultimately confront. And none of us can evade or avoid. Who do you say I am? If you come here and you've got hang-ups with Christianity, you've got problems with church, you've got hang-ups about hypocritical Christians, I get all of that. Put it to the side for a second. Because what are you going to do with this man? Who do you say that Jesus is? To reduce him to anything else than Christ is tantamount to saying he's John or Jeremiah or Elijah or one of the prophets. And the answer just will not do. This is how the talk with Jesus ends. This is the end of the conversation. Verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Peter says, you are the Christ, and Christ says, 
Peter, you've said rightly, and on you in your confession, I'm going to build my church. You see, we gather here and we're launching a new church and everything about this feels new and innovative like we've come up with something brand new. It's not. What we've been doing is being swept up into something that Jesus has been doing for 2,000 years because on that day he promised, on this confession and you in this confession, I will build my church. And what we're doing today is getting swept up into what Jesus promised Peter that day. Because he looked at Peter and he said, I'm going to build an entire community that is going to confess as you have confessed that I am the Christ. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so Seven Mile Road, this is day one for us. And our very first question that we'll have to answer is who do you say that I am? And my prayer for you as individuals and us as a church, that the very first word that is spoken at Seven Mile Road and forever be, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Let's pray.